Welcome to the Rise Network Podcast Show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and and Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Austin, you messed me around? What did you talk about last week? Well, it was only one uh, preamble, yeah. so no. You gave me a month by myself. Maybe I'll start missing you a little bit. What did I talk about? Dude, I don't remember what I fucking talk about with this shit, dude. <laughs> I don't, you ramble, I don't know. Eh? Yeah, I just, it's literally, I just ramble. <laughs> Without <laughs> you, there's no direction in the conversation. Uh, what's been going on, man? You sell, uh, you sell that Toronto one or what? No, no, but we do have an offer that has been put in and we may get another offer in. And so we're going to try to negotiate and work with those a little bit lower than what we'd like. So my backup is, is the mortgage is about 740K. I could put in another, let's call it 150 to 200 grand if need be, not ideal. And I can do a medium term rental or I could do even like a long term rental and be cash flow positive, right? Because of it's an entire semi-detached house. So I'll rent it for forty-five to five thousand dollars a month for bedrooms. So that's like worst case. But we do have some offers now that we're working with. So we'll see how that goes. I do have a cutoff of sort of where I would like to be with with everything, right? Other than that, like I, I'm okay holding it, but it's just not ideal whatsoever. But multiple exit strategies. It's gonna take some liquidity as well. Not a huge fan of yeah. that, but it's okay. We'll see what happens. So just hopefully take these two negotiations to the finish line. We have until, I think it's Monday to figure out if we're going to take any of these or not. Are you going to be losing money in either one? Yeah, definitely going to be losing money. And I'm okay with that. It's just a matter of like how much I'm willing to lose. Right. And it's just, I do think that it is going to recover, maybe not anytime soon, but somewhere down the line. And I do think that where sort of where, where the market is right now in, in Freeholds downtown, there are a lot of things just sitting there. And Pete, there's still of a deal. I'm seeing things in Trinity Bellwood sell for a million, which is ridiculous, right? That's like prime AAA. Like renovated, like renovated town. Not renovated, like seven out of 10 condition, but it doesn't matter. Like yeah, we're talking about Trinity matter. Bellwood. For right? a million, like, like that's solid. Yeah. Yeah, that's triple. I was like, dude, like, come on. Like when rates cut, these properties are not going to be worth a million, you know? So- there's a little bit of like foresight in my head where I'm thinking like, okay, things are going to eventually get better. So how much am I willing to take a loss today? So there's that opportunity cost component, yeah. but I do have, again, a cutoff, right? Like if it's like, if I have to take a six figure loss, there's just no way. If I have to sell it sub a million, yeah. there's no fucking way. <laughs> same, same thing's happening with our cottage. It's, it's been sitting, but to, to be fair, I had Airbnb guests every weekend for the last like month or whatever that's been listed on the market. So like we also weren't making it easy for the showings to happen, but the feedback that's been coming has been like, oh, it's not as renovated as we wanted. Or one person just for whatever reason, just, just decide to make an offer on another property instead and so on. So now the realtor wants to do a 50K price drop, which brings it down to about 650 instead of 6.99 or something like that yeah. looking at right now, which is fine. I think we would still be making about like 50 grand or so. But I also have this option, this guy that's like really wants to rent out this place at $3,600 a month, which would, I mean, when you consider like CapEx and maintenance and stuff like that, are probably like break even, but like without that stuff considered, given that it's all like fully renovated, fully brand new, yeah. 
you know, we shouldn't have too much of that. It shouldn't basically just said cash flow and he wants it for, he, he said he's happy to do like an 18 month lease. So I've, I've been trying to convince my partner because my partner wants to do the price cut down to 650. I'm kind of like, if we do the price cut to 650 and if it doesn't sell, I can't even refinance it at 650 versus right now I could refinance it and pull out a little bit more capital to bring down yeah. an investment to under like 70 grand or so between both of us. Right. And we could rent it out and just kind of hold it for 18 months and get, in my opinion, past this little like economic turmoil. And then 18 months from now, kind of decide and see what we want to do. This cottage, cottage market right now for anyone that's- It's getting that's slaughtered. It's yeah. brutal. Yeah. You're seeing but 100 it, like price I would argue cottage was the biggest bubble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. the biggest yeah, run up sure. in prices. But let me ask you that, what is your mortgage right now on that property? Uh, we refinanced at a five- I want to say it was about like a 525 or a 550 ARV. So it's okay. probably about 400 to 420 or something like that. And your rate is fixed at a pretty decent rate? Uh, rate was, no, we fixed it in, um, I think it was like April timeline. So I can't remember what the rate is. That's gone. four. It's in the yeah. fours, not in probably the fives, like the four right? Five kind of range, right? That, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. if you were to use today's rates, I was like, dude, your mortgage must be close to <laughs> 3000 yeah. alone. Yeah. It's crazy. So we're we're going to aim to stock another 100K as like a second mortgage on it. Yeah. And then a net investment would be negligible down under like 70 grand or so. Right. And then I personally just want to long to rent the cell because even, yo, while I was on vacation, this shit pissed me off again. <laughs> My partner is the one that cleaner's invoice as it comes in. And so for whatever reason, the invoice came in on Sunday and the cleaner sends it in all the time. And she goes, can you pay this ASAP? Can you pay this ASAP? Can you pay it ASAP? My yeah. partner's just like, yo, like, what? She actually expect us to pay within like an hour, two hours. Like we have things to do as well. So he's like, yeah. I'll, I'll pay it this week. Okay. So I, and I messaged my partner and said like, well, why are you like delaying the payment? Cause like we have the money. And he's just like, yo, yeah. I've got to like bring this to like a normal timeline to like pay bills. You can't pay a bill within like 24, like within like a couple hours, you got to give me something like, like a day or two. He forgot to pay it until Friday. This lady quit on me as a cleaner on Friday. And then yeah. she's like, you guys are playing games with me. I'm like, no, like he's just being stupid. He'll pay your bill. Like I know he has money in the account. Like it's not a big deal. I'll pay for sure. And yeah, it just quit. And so we have to find a new cleaner, right? And that kind of a headache where like you're traveling, you're well, like guest checking in. So we have to like set reminders to like send these automated messages, not automated messages, but whatever, send these messages, right? It's just like, it's a pain in the ass. So like, I'm but is that your responsibility to, 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 yeah. Yeah, that part's mine. That part's mine. My, my buddy deals with the payments, um, some of these trades and stuff like that when we need to, right? But the ongoing management is my side, but it's yeah, still very but active, it's all- right? <laughs> it's almost like that issue happened because of payment and then it, uh, okay, whatever. Yeah, no, no, no. So then what, well, well, it did happen because of the payments. I told my buddy to make sure he finds a new cleaner and I gave him yeah. one, but then he ended up just using my person, so it was okay. Anyways, long story short, like I'd prefer to hold it for two years. I just don't want to hold it as a fucking Airbnb. I'm so done with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be an active business, right? But uh, so, so we'll kind of, let's, let's see where we end up there. I had the same realization is you and we talked about this before the airbnb makes sense as you start to scale up right but for one single property if it means an extra thousand five hundred to two grand a month but it is a lot of pain headache it's a lot of work it may not necessarily be worth it right yeah. so that was the decision i made with the sudbury property where i switched it over to long-term rentals another quick side note on my end i don't know if i did i talk maybe i didn't talk about this but I have a pre-con that's closing Dang. at the, what is it, mid-November. So we got financing in, in place. We initially got offered 6.5% or 6.4% by RBC for a three-year fix. And then went to CIBC 
and got 6.2% and then counter that with RBC and got 6.1%. So I want people to keep things in mind that when it comes to rates and keep in mind, I'm a loyal RBC customer that sometimes they won't give you the best rate up yeah. front, right? And it's not necessarily the decision of the mortgage specialist. Yeah. You have to go shopping and bring other rates in. But I ended up settling with the monoline uh, lender, MCAN. And yeah. I was telling you this, Mayu, but I have to put 52% down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a lot of fucking liquidity tied in there. So 52% down. There are really good rates when you go to like low loan to values, right? Like even, yes. even on the B side, man, we're, we're doing one where we got a, a low seven, which for like a high ratio, like messed up file, but like the loan to value is like under 50%. And was uh-huh. like, it's from home trust and home trust normally comes in around like 8% range, right? So you can definitely like negotiate some good shit, but yeah, that one you add heavy down payment because you're, you're transferring a lot of the equity from the sale of your primary, right? Yeah. So 52% down, uh, 5.64% through your fix. It good. sounds fucking crazy. Yeah. It's, it sounds good, but it's crazy yeah. to think mid fives is good. That's <laughs> but that's, yeah. yeah. So I've been, I've been working on getting that file down the finish line. We wholesaled a deal a few days ago. What else is there? Our flip in Sudbury, a sort of Sudbury market has gone to a halt. I think we talked about this before, but looking at potentially renting that one out as well. But that I would likely do a short term or medium term rental. I'm just so done with fucking dealing with tenants, man. I have, I don't even, ah, this preamble can go on and on, but I had a couple <laughs> of non-imminent rents, which I talked about. I think that's what I was talking about in the previous episode. So just dealing with that, getting an 11 signed, bring it to the finish line. The only issue is, so like with one of the properties that I have, a triplex, Two tenants stopped paying rent. One of them eventually got evicted. And that net cost is we're out of the pocket by 2000 bucks. Plus oh, you man. have to do the, re- yeah, but you have to do the repairs as well. So that's probably How another. How you get that fast? Two grand? That's all you're out of pocket? Yeah. I convinced them to catch up. They fell behind, catch up, fall behind. You know what I mean? So like, I don't let them go scot-free. I try to make things work. So at yeah. the end of it, they were down by 2000. And we got them out. We had to spend about 1,500 in repairs. So let's call it 3,500. And then our upstairs tenants stopped paying rent. And that's the big one. That's about close to 15 to 15.50 a month. So that person's behind about six grand. So getting them to sign an N11, trying to get them caught up as well. But to put things in perspective, we bought this in 2020 and it was cash flow positive. But an issue like that has eroded basically the cash flow. And another thing that you sort of learn from this as well is, is that non-payment of rent is like a non-productive expense. Like if it's CapEx, it's annoying, but at least it's being reinvested into the property, right? This is not an investment. This is like just a shitty situation and then I kind of have to ride it out, but hoping to get this person to sign an N11. He's agreed to it. So we'll see what, what happens from there. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's been a nightmare to deal with. I mean, okay. So I look at this on my own portfolio. I think the reason I get away with this is because I have <laughs> affordable housing. <laughs> I'm just doing yeah. a government's job out here. <laughs> my rents are way below. But now I'm in this scenario because, because of the rents, it was for a while it was, I was rented my main floor, for example, my Scarborough house, I think it's 2,100 a month. Market rent was 2,400. So I'm like, okay, like I'm not necessarily like bleeding. I'm perfectly fine on this house. Now market rents like 28, 2900. So I'm like, shit, this gap is like too big, right? But because I didn't do the rent increases for the last couple of years, I'm using a 2100 base. Now I'm going to be increasing it to, I think like 2160. 
I'm like, now I'm way too far behind for me to like catch up. It's going to take me like years and years and years. Right. So that's also unproductive fucking asset because now it's just sitting there with a shit ton of equity, not even earning me like real cash. Right. So I don't know what the right solution is. And oh, yeah. my mortgage is also for renewal on that one. So that's not great okay. either, but but we'll kind of wait and see what happens there. On renewals, that's where it becomes an issue. But you locked into a cheap rate, so it wasn't, it's not it stressful, fine. right? Like it's kind of shitty that they're paying under, but it's, you know, it's a low risk. They're not going to stop paying. Yeah. That's what I realized as well is with these, you know, what I found is as much as we don't like to invest in some of these smaller cities with these smaller cities, like with my eight unit in a smaller city, Dude, I am fucking paying a ton in capex repairs, so on and so forth. That I just ran the cash. I'm, dude, I'm still up two thousand a month. <laughs> yeah, and this is after refining yeah. all the capital out. I'm still cash flow positive two grand a month on the rate was six percent, so I locked in at a good rate, but still relatively high. And I was like, dude, so, like, so why aren't you having why aren't you having kind of issues on that eight plus? I mean, the rents are Hello? eleven twelve hundred portable for two portable, bedrooms. Right? Yeah, they're affordable. Yeah, yeah, Two yeah. bedrooms, 11 to 1200. And the ARV was quite low, but was still able to refi the cash out. And I was like, dude, like this is the asset that I like to hold. Yeah. With all of these fucking CapEx that stress me out, I'm yeah. like, still, I am fucking printing money from this property. That's <laughs> what stresses me about, out about some of these rents that I hear from like other investors, like getting two grand on like a, I don't know, like a three bedroom or, or, or like 1800 on a two bedroom. I'm just like, for how long will you be able to, and you getting that because ultimately the biggest cost is cash for keys, right? It's, it's uh, yeah. non-payment of rent and that's uh, the six to eight months and the damage that happens on turnover when you've got an on-paying rent, yeah. right? So I don't know, it's a balance between affordable housing providing and uh, you got to make money somewhere, right? So. Okay, we're going to jump straight into the podcast. Enough rambling from us. We have our guest, Isaiah Henry, who is an accomplished real estate investor. He's an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. He's a realtor in Durham. He invests long distance in Tim in single family homes and small multis. But also on top of that, he's done wholesaling in Tim He started his own property management business there while being down in the Durham region. And also, again, he does his realtor business around the Durham area too. There's so many interesting topics that we get into here from entrepreneurship to making sure that you can invest in cash flow positive properties in today's market environment. You definitely don't want to miss this one out. And if you enjoy this episode, share it with a friend, leave us a five-star review, leave us comments. We love to see that and enjoy, guys. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest and serial entrepreneur, Isaiah Henry. Isaiah, how's everything going, man? Things are good, man. Bless highly favor. Thanks for having me. Isaiah, nice to have you on, man. I know we've been talking about this for some time. But for anyone that doesn't know you, you're pretty out there. You're on YouTube, Instagram. I feel like you got TikTok probably, I don't know, you're just everywhere now. So for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you just give them a quick rundown on, on who you are, how you got started and everything that you do today. Yeah. So this podcast is only an hour, right? So they can put it in there. <laughs> Isaiah Henry, I am a real estate investor and a realtor out in the Durham region. My whole aspect approach to real estate in business is always community focused. So you'll see that kind of trend throughout the businesses and my real estate experience. Um, getting started professionally, I had a brief stint in law enforcement. Uh, I was a special constable with Metrolinx police officer with the uh, trial police service, and then made a uh, not so graceful exit into uh, real estate there. In terms of real estate, I started locally. I live currently in the Durham region. So I started with a few properties in the GTA, Toronto, and Oshawa were my first couple. 
and then branched out to Windsor after my Austin decided to chop it up out there. I said, I might as well follow suit. Uh, so I went out and picked up one out there, got my feet wet in long distance investing. It really started to understand how to build teams and systems and said, you know what? Let's just double down. And I ran up to Timmins. And that's where I would say 80 to 85% of my portfolio is now build out a property management company out there. And yeah, that's where I think the rest of the investment will go. They call me the mayor of T-Town, but I don't know if that's going to stick. But yeah, loving what's going on up there in Timmins. Wait, what was the mayor of T-Town? What? Mayor of T-Town. It's where I go to like events and stuff. And like some people like, oh, that's the, the mayor of T-Town. And I was like, don't tell anyone else that because I don't look like the mayor of Timmins. We look very, very different. So. <laughs> A lot to break down here. Um, interesting that you actually started off investing in like Durham region, because usually, I mean, with some in, a lot of investors nowadays, they start off in some of the more tertiary markets and then sort of move closer towards the GTA. So could you sort of uh, talk us through how you got started in real estate investing? Um, what type of properties were you buying and what strategy you were executing? Yeah, for sure. So first one I did was a pre-con uh, in Toronto, no idea what I was doing. I was still, I think I was still like a lifeguard at the pool at that point. And I did like the simplest math. I'm like, oh, I make, you know, 18 bucks an hour. If I work this many hours, I can afford the, the deposit structure. So anyway, got the deposit structure, got that one down, closed on it. And I saw that in like six months, the property went from like two to 10 to four ten. I was like, oh, crazy. Like I just made when so much equity. This? Like, um, 2018, 20 27, no, 2017 December is when I signed the first one. And then um, I signed it in 2021. Wait, where? Did you say Toronto? Yeah. My Scarborough, Scarborough. For 210? Uh, no, I bought it for 215. What? What did you buy me in 2017? Man, that makes sense because yeah, downtown pre cons were going one bedroom plus 10. Like, nothing special. Nothing special. In 2017, really? Eh? Shit. Yeah. That's been free. It does make sense, right? Pre construction condos in downtown were going for like sub 400 at 2017. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you really do the one bedroom plus 10. I did no parking, no uh, locker, nothing. Like, just yeah, the yeah. one bedroom plus 10. And that's as much as I can afford with them life for itself. But yeah, made it work. I saw the appreciation and I said, okay, well, there's something to be said here about real estate. I found that we could use the 5% down option and first get new owner occupied. That's how I got into the Oshawa property. And then from the Oshawa property, I was kind of tapped out with cash. And I saw, you know, I was following what you guys were doing in um, Windsor and Sudbury. So I went out to Windsor. I got an off-market deal there. Very, very cheap. Did the whole first shiny That was the first time I did pulled off like a bird plus like everyone that ball back then everyone was doing perfect birds. So I got a bird plus, got all my money back and was like, okay, wait, I'm actually understanding this. I have three properties at this point. Let's see if we can scale it up. I didn't like what I was seeing in GTA in terms of cash flow wise and qualification wise. I tried Sudbury for a bit. The best I did was a couple of wholesales. And then I went into Timmings, the price point supporting the rents. So I was able to still qualify, got into an easy single family home to get things started. And then I started to ramp it up from that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so hold on. So, so at this point you were still working when you were investing in Timmins, right? Yeah. I've been working the whole time, like working okay. since I started working until um, four o'clock today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. So you, you looked at Sudbury and you, you moved out from it. Was it the ratios? Was that what sort of like the rent to the mortgage? Is that why you didn't decide to pursue Sudbury? Because theoretically, if you have deals that are good enough to wholesale, Sometimes they're good enough to close on yourself. 
you're so right. You know what? So the ratios were good for the duplex and everything there, but it was that time in the market that anything you got on the contract, you just held it for 60 days and it went up, right? So, and there was so much competition in Sudbury at that point, like everybody in the long probably were going to be a Sudbury investor. And I'm like, you know what? I just don't feel super comfortable. It was easy to wholesale. I think I did four wholesales that year in Sudbury and Timmins. So, and then we did a couple together. So that was easy to do. And I said, you know what? Everyone wants this. Let's just get stuff off the table. And then when I went up to Timmins, like that's when I was able to start actually buying molding stuff and building out a larger portfolio. I think you also probably look, cause this was what, 2021, 2022, somewhere in that timeline. Yeah, exactly. And you probably start looking at what's my longevity in this market. And, and Sudbury, I think was already kind of booming, right? Um, the prices were borderline of like being there, like, does it make sense? Does it not? And then it sounds like you took advantage of that market, the significant demand wholesale there, took the profits that you made there, went up just a little bit more north, anticipating where kind of that outlook was going, right? Because everything is kind of like a ripple, right? So if Toronto is a ripple, then every single city as you kind of keep going more and more north, we'll just kind of keep appreciating if everything else is moving up, right? So, so you went out to Timmins and at that time, Timmins was... Uh, cause I, I looked into Timmins as well and, you know, crime capital, I think it was Ontario and, and all sorts of like negative, like PR surrounding Timmins at that time. Right. I'm curious what kind of due diligence you did when you were looking at Timmins, what made you comfortable to invest in Timmins? So at this time I was involved in like a mentorship program. I was only need job just to keep everyone fair. So I was in this mentorship program and a big part of this mentorship program was like, they did advancing all the hundred call challenges for those of you know, you already know. Um, and I kind of took it a step farther. Like the idea was to call like contractors, handyman, realtors, wholesalers, stuff like that. I said, you know what? I'll do that, but let me take it a step farther. So I remember in the first three months, I called 760 something. I'm not having the number. 760 different people in Timmins. Oh, I'm talking here. Holy shit. That's a lot. Like, no disrespect. Like the, uh, the level of volume needed to succeed is higher than people think. And I know you guys get it, but when people tell me, they're like, oh, I just want to call. I'm like, bro, you made 10 calls, like not even close. 760 some odd calls. I get hair salons, burger shops, um, uh, hairdressers, uh, Home Depot, like everyone I could find a number eight Timmins. I would call and explain what I wanted to do. And I just started to be this random Toronto guy that people knew. But then again, people would start picking up my name. They'd start remembering first position real estate. They'd start picking up the stuff that I'm doing. I was able to build up a little bit of community, find people like, oh, don't mess in this area or don't go here. Stuff that you could never find, never research. Nobody would ever write down or put online to tell you, but I was able to gain that information. So I knew Timmins like the back of my hand after those three months because I was talking individual streets, neighborhoods, what property managers were good. What are like the bad tenants? Like, where's the crime? What is the police saying? I just got a really good idea of timing the whole. And I almost knew it like as well as I knew during at some point. So I felt very comfortable going in there, investing, putting money, break partners, raising capital, all that good stuff. I'm just curious. You're calling random establishments outside of real estate adjacent. Were you able to get any leads or information from that? And I ask this because that is so far out of the realm of what people would do. I'm, in fact, you're the only person I know that has done that. So did any benefit come out of that? 100%. Like I, I've only done one on-market deal in Timmins. Everything else has been on-market through like these resources and uh, like connections there. So everyone always says, oh, call, lead with value. So I'm sitting here holding the phone like, okay, what am I going to say to this random person to add value? So this is the kicker. So you can put this all in your, your next coaching workshop here. So when you call, 
I'm a real estate investor. I know I'm going to have tenants. So how can I add value to this rank of business? I explain my name's Isaiah. I'm the owner of First Position Real Estate, which is now Valley, Valleydale Properties. We're trying to offer high quality housing in the area. Would you like to be part of our welcome basket where we share with our tenants? So if they're like any sort of service provider, if they have any sort of product, they're excited because now they're going to get like breached for something else. It's free for them, right? So we've already made that connection. I've already done the reciprocal thing. And then I start to ask questions. Hey, do you know anyone like good handyman? Do you know any contractors? Do you know anyone looking to sell a property? Do you know anyone for this, this, this? And we're having a good conversation. One example, this girl, Helen, who has a nail salon at Timmins, I call her probably once a month just to chat it up. She's like chatty happy. Like I love chatting with her. And she'll just give me the skinny on what's going on, like stuff that you wouldn't see or not publicized, but she'll kind of tell you what's going on in the city. And I've got a couple of really good contractors from her. I met my property manager, assistant from her. And it's all happened like just with that community feel, like forget everything you get online, like literally get into the community. That is a golden nugget I've never heard of before. Yeah. So I love I'm, it. Mine, eh? <laughs> yeah. And just to make a point there. So immediately, I mean, just to be blunt, from my point of view, sort of when I, if I was to do that exercise, one of the things that would come in my head is, is that enough to say, would you be open to be in our welcome package, right? But at the end of the day, it comes to perceived value of the other party, right? Yeah. For the other party, as you were saying, it's no cost, right? And you build that relationship with them. You have a little bit of a convo and then you ask them the questions that you need. And if they see the perceived value of being on that welcome list or welcome package high enough, then they're willing to extend that conversation with you. And there's going to be a lot of people that don't see that value there. And that's fine. Saves you time. But there's going to be some people that do see that value there. So I like that point that you made there. And even for me as an investor, I would get tripped up in my mind. It's like, is this enough to even push the conversation forward? But obviously you're living proof that you call 700 numbers, it's going to work out. Yeah. Like, it's not like, first of all, like Timmins isn't a big town. Like we're going, depending on who you're asking between 42 and 45,000 people, population rate growing slightly stagnant, even decreasing, depending on what time frame you're looking at over the next 10 years. And I get that. So I'll take that on my back because I know everyone's going to talk about, you got to invest in growth markets. Okay. Settle down. But with that being said, you're able to take like more of a small town feel to it. Like I know that each relationship that you're building Think about it, one in 40,000 does a lot more damage than one in 400,000, right? So if you can kind of take that, extrapolate that, you can make a little bit more of a dent in Timmins and that's what's worked in this market. I don't know if it'll work in like Toronto proper, but again, smaller markets, tertiary, you can really build that community aspect and kind of benefit you in your business. Yeah, and arguably like you wouldn't have the same challenges that you're having in Timmins in a market like Toronto. Like if you really want to find all these, like there's much more like publications on different streets and you could just do more market research. You could find a bunch of plumbers, property managers, whatever, like all that kind of stuff that's out there, right? So different challenges and different strategies. So that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about Timmins. I don't think we've had a guest on the podcast that is an expert in Timmins or, or the mayor. Wait, I can't remember what they called you, mayor tier or whatever it was, right? So, so, so let's talk about Timmins. So 40, 45,000 people, um, I believe, is it, is it a mining town? Give us a little bit about the macros, um, macroeconomics side behind it. Yeah. And I feel like this is like, whenever I talk about uh, like investment deals or I'm talking with other investors, like what is happening in Timmins? I'm like, okay, great question. So Timmins is a small town. It's in Northern Ontario, about seven and a half from Toronto, six and a half to be able to let foot like me. It's a mining town. So I would say predominantly mining is what's going to run that town. The government of Ontario has given $10 billion to Northern Ontario for mining specifically. So I'm pretty confident that part of Timmins is going to be sustainable well into the future. The second thing that I like about it, it does have a major hospital. 
So if you're in any of the more north towns, and yes, you can go more north than Timmins, any of those big ones like uh, Kapiskasing, uh, Cochrane, Yoga Falls, if you have like a big medical emergency, you fly, you come into Timmins first for hospital care, and then they can't solve it in Timmins, then you go down to Sudbury. So Timmins, I would say, is like a, a level two or major hospital in that northern region. And then the third thing now, they have two post-secondary institutions that are funneling international students like no one's business. Like every time I post a listing for myself or one of my property management clients, like boom, 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 within like the first 24 hours, I think the lowest we've had is like 50 applicants and a good chunk of them being these international students looking for housing. Interesting. It's a lot of the same issues that a lot of other cities across GTA and across Ontario are dealing with international students, new immigrants coming in, et cetera which is probably driving up the population a decent amount. And I don't think the international students are considered a part of the population, which is also- Yeah, they're non-permanent residents, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't show there. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you'd only know investing in there. Yeah. yeah. I knew international students, um, I mean, we're, Canada's importing them like crazy, right? It's a huge- Yeah. University's making a lot of money from it. But I wasn't expecting there to be a flood in, in Timmin, so that's, that's interesting to hear. So let me ask you this. What's the downside? What's the risk? Because I think- Having invested in every, like all the markets that we have, like I could definitely point out a bunch of risks in my markets. I, I think it exists in every market. It's just important to know, right? So what's the downside of Timmins? And I guess more like associated with that is who does Timmins not work for? The hardest part in my opinion is going to be the tenant quality and property management. Now let me preface this. There are some amazing people who live in Timmins, like community members, people that are in my properties or in my clients' properties, as well as like Timmins as a whole. But there's also some part of my French, some battle rackets. Like there's some awful people there. Like petty crime is so high, but it's not everywhere, which is a really good thing. Like there's a very localized area where this crime is. And um, there's an offshoot uh, of Timmins called Schumacher. That's also probably a C or D area as well. And if you're able to like understand those markets, know how to deal with those people, I feel you can have success. But when I started, property management was a big problem. Like just trying to figure that out. Like, Everyone just said, oh, just underwrite 10%, 8%, and run your numbers. Yeah, I did that. And then in practice, it does not work out that way. That's why I decided to create my own property management company, insource everything that I could. And for me, now it's running on all cylinders because I control a whole lot more of it. But that's what I would say is the biggest risk or headache for me coming into Simmons is like dealing with the, the tenant issues as well as like property management. Like, one thing, Timmins, that if anyone's going up there, if you call with a 416-647-905 number, they're not picking up your call. Like, I'll just tell you that for free. They are not scared, but they are hesitant to deal with people from Southern Ontario coming up there trying to make money in their city. Not that they feel they're going to take advantage of them, but they're just not always on the same page. Like, you know, a lot of contractors or vendors have been burned by people in Southern Ontario. So going up there, you need to have that nice Timmins touch is what I say. You want to be successful in that market. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Even when I'm doing wholesaling as well, it's not like I'm using 647 numbers when I'm doing Northern Ontario. Yeah, I have a no. 705 number, 613 number, uh, 437, 416. Like there are several numbers, right? And it does make a, a pretty big difference in first impressions because the first impression is the caller ID. Like who's yeah, calling yeah, me? Yeah, 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 that's it. I'm actually interested in hearing about the numbers of Timmins. Um, so not, not, Previous deals, I know that since you got started, maybe the market's appreciated a little bit, but currently with whether that be your investor clients that you work with or for your own personal portfolio, 
Like, what are you buying it for? Like, what are rental costs, ARV, rent roll, so on and so forth? Why don't you give me the entire sort of financial breakdown from the investment side? Yeah, 100%. So I'll start with like kind of what I'm doing. So I have specialized in single family, small multi. Now there are opportunity if you want to get into some of those larger buildings out there. My only apprehension that I've seen with myself and other clients is the tenant quality is an issue as well as the building I keep. And that's just not something I see for my portfolio going forward. Maybe future, but not now. Anyway, single small multi, single family homes. My sweet spot is if you can get a semi-detached three bed, one or two bath, that's going to be your like all that in a bag of chip rental. You're going to get the maximum rent you're going to get in the area. You're going to get a discount on the price because you're not getting a fully detached property. But um, your tenants are super happy because they get that three bedroom, one bath. There is a big need for three bedrooms. Two bedrooms, one bedroom, I would say like, you're not going to be vacant at all, but I would say it's just average demand. But if you put a three or four bedroom up, whether it's a single family or duplex, like you are flooded and I'm being flooded uh, with inquiries. So I would always recommend trying to get that three and, uh, and one there. In terms of rents, I think rents are getting very comparable. With the three or four bedrooms, you're looking anywhere from 22 to 27 conservatively plus utilities. On a two bedroom, you're looking, depending on the condition, anywhere from 13 to 15. And then on a one bedroom, you're looking anywhere from 900 to 13. I've seen a couple of people pop 13s, but my only fear with it is the income that these individuals are qualifying for don't always match. Like, sure, you can charge 13 and yeah, we can pay you 13 for the first two months, but in month three and four, like, what are we doing? Are we doing this land or tenant board dance? Or like, I'd rather get a tenant in, pay 900 and know they can comfortably do that for the next two years versus that. We can talk about guaranteeing your rents if we can get into that, but that's kind of how I'm seeing the marketing tenants. That's a drastic increase. You're using 20 to 2,700 for three bed. Oh yeah. This guy's renting stuff for like 27, 28. Like if you really want to get like, in my opinion, a little bit greedy, like there's rentals for like upwards of three grand in that. So actually, I have, a, I have a question in regards. I, I had a few questions. Uh, actually, just real quick. What are the prices that you're sort of getting these? Uh, let's say like a single family or a duplex or a triplex turnkey, each one turnkey. Turnkey, uh, turnkey, single, 220. Um, well, you should get it 220. You can buy it for more, but those won't do well as rentals. So yeah, 220 to 230 for that. Duplex, 250 to 270. Triplex, 300. Fourplex, um, three eighty five to four hundred, and these are not Schumacher or whatever those bad areas. These are like indecent. No, no. Hey, if you want to go to Schumacher, we'll pick these things up for like seventy grand, man. It's awesome. They figured. Yeah, <laughs> every wholesale deal I get, I'm like, oh, sixty k. I was like, oh, wait, the neighborhood. Everything looks like it sells for sixty to seventy k, anyways. Well, under that, I will, I will tell the price now. It's, we're just, I like to get things closed up, but. Whatever the lowest price you can think of, I guarantee you I got it cheaper. So we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, it's definitely less than six figures. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the question that I had is, is that, I mean, Timmins is a pretty affordable place and there is a fair amount of the population that has a decent income given mining. Like it's not uncommon for miners to make six figures to 150, 200K. That being said, who is your rental pool? In Timmins, because obviously your average income there doesn't necessarily reflect who the renters are. And secondly, someone who's going to pay twenty seven hundred for a three bedroom. I mean, intuitively, they can afford buying a place in Timmins as well. So I'm trying to grasp the understanding around that. 
I feel like we thought the same thing and we wondered the same thing about Windsor when we got into Windsor, Austin. And like, yeah, I still don't have an answer. So I'm curious here what Isaiah says. No, no, no. This is a little bit different. We're talking about 2,700 a month. I can, yeah, we're, okay. we're yeah. renting ours in Windsor for like 1,900 to 2,100, right? True. For a three bedroom entire house. No, no, come on, baby. Come on. Um, yeah. So what, what I'm seeing, like my perfect tenant profile, and, and I discuss this with my property assistant all the time, what, what I'm looking for. For my three and four bedrooms, I want uh, two angel earners with kids. In my opinion, the more kids, the better. We're going to get the child tax benefit credit and they have two incomes uh, to qualify. I'll be honest with you, I like if they have a dog. The reason I like if they have a dog is for two reasons. One, when I do my tenant screening, I can go to their house to say, hey, you want a dog? I got to see like this dog. So we send these sits into the house and we meet the dog. But what we're actually doing is trying to see the condition of like, how they live to see if like this is like if they got like dog feces all over the place and that place is awful. Then we're like, okay, probably it's going to be a no for us. But if we go, the dog's well kept, it's in a cage, the dog is like appropriately groomed and you know, everything looks good. It gives us a way better feel for this tenant. Also, if you have pets, so many Leylands are like, oh, we're not pet friendly. But since I'm pet friendly, they're willing to pay a little bit more knowing that they can bring their pet. They don't have to hide it. All my properties have backyards that are fenced. Like they bring it in and they're really happy. And then even in the welcome basket, like we put dog treats, we put dog toys. We're like, listen, we know you have a dog. Don't hide it. Like let's work with you and let, let us be the provider for those people who have pets. So, and I feel when we get those, those people are down to spend some money because they just want somewhere nice. They can live and be left alone. And those always have been my best tenant. When I had none perfect combination or perfect storm, I'm all good. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's a unique way to be able to charge more, right? No pet fee. I don't want the landlord tenant board coming at me like <laughs> judging a pet fee. That's not what's happening. <laughs> we are not discriminating by pets. We are not. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So great. No, but do you find a lot of your, your tenant profile is the mining profile or is it more like, cause it's not like everyone in a, in a town can work in the mines, right? Like there's obviously like a lot of like ancillary services, like like the example of the the salon that we were talking about earlier, and there's going to be the, the individuals that work at the restaurants and so on, right? So I feel like the single miners might be your tenant profile, just because they they don't want to go through the hassle of buying buying a house, or maybe they're not the best with their money and so on, right? But I feel like these young families, it's usually not the miners, maybe, but correct me if I'm wrong. Hundred percent. So if you're going to go for the miners, like you'll be looking more than one or two bedrooms, big incomes to qualify, and again, like. They're not renting super high. So if you got a guy earning like 80 to 100, like he can probably do the 1,000 or 13 or even push it to a 15. But when you're trying to go to that 24, 25 range, even at that good income, it's, it's tough to qualify. And the turnover is going to be too much when I have someone like that. I, if we're going to spend that money, let's bring them in. And I want these people there for like two, three years, get some stability. Because I usually would have renovated the property. So please, like, just make the renovation worth it. Like stay in there for a bit. So I get some stability across the portfolio. So I'll be honest with you, the miners are definitely more that single one bedroom studio or two bedroom. But once we go to that two bedroom, I'm looking for that family dynamic, like two jobs, hopefully ones like government, hospital, social services, something like that, something stable. And then usually there's another like blue collar worker, plumbing, HVAC. I got a couple guys who are contractors, stuff like that. And that dynamic, followed with some kids and a pet, oof, we're in good shape. Just a question for miners there. Are you finding that they're transient? So they're not settling down in Timmins forever, right? Because again, I'm sort of still going back to the point of if someone's making 100 G's, why not buy a place, right? Unless you're transient and sort of like not always 
you don't plan to live in Timmins forever. Or maybe I'm just like out of touch with what their culture is and what their thought process is there. No, no, no. 100%. I usually, they, they get there, they'll, they'll do the mines for a little bit, stack up some cash. They'll either buy a house there, kind of, you'll see like, you know, like a, you know, a pretty decent house, like a $150,000 Ford Raptor driving around. So like, you know, like that's kind of what they do. But that's why I'm not huge to get them into these three or four bedrooms that I go after because I know they're not going to be there. And then turnover and vacancy are like the biggest expenses. So I try and keep that down. Like I, in my head, like I almost try and sell the two-year lease and gauge their reaction to that. Like some people are like, yeah, yeah, I'm about the two-year. I'm like, okay, like they're looking to stay kind of thing versus like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I qualify, I'll take this. Like, let me know. Those guys will try to get in the water two bedrooms because I know the turnover is going to be a little bit easier. That makes a lot of sense. And in regards to sort of strategy in Timmins, what have you found has been working best for yourself and your own portfolio growth? I think when the market was like when it first got up there, like full burns, like I wish I had more money. I was a little bit better at raising capital. I would have been just full burn, like nobody's business up there. I did successfully do two burrs up there in a flip in my personal portfolio. But honestly, what works for me and what I tell other people is very minimal renovations because of two things. One, Getting quality workmanship up there in a timely fashion is very difficult. So yes, you can get these nice properties for like, you know, under 100K, but they probably need 60 or 70 in there, but you need someone qualified to go do that. So either you're going to bring someone out from Sudbury, drive someone from Toronto, or begging hope that one of these guys in Timmins is going to take on your project. And that's kind of a little bit of a risk in my opinion, because you're trying to refi quickly, either out of your private money or whatever bank loan you're in. And I haven't seen that done successfully. So I like doing a little bit less renovations than I, I think I did when I started getting something closer to term key, because we go to tennis to cash flow. I'm not going there for appreciation to do all these big, sexy burrs. I'm going there to buy a single family home and cash flow me a thousand bucks a month. Like that's what I'm, I'm trying to do when I'm there. And I think it's a different strategy than you see down in like GTA 7 Ontario. So not everyone connects with it exactly. It's interesting. It's, it's basically the quick and dirty, which was, uh, and so is kind of the bread and butter that we look to do in a lot of markets as well, right? It has its pros and cons. And like, I want to move on to, to kind of what you're, what the other stuff you're up to. But I'm curious because we saw the downside of that strategy as well. Because we're just getting in quick and dirty paint, lipstick this, lipstick that, just like get it rented out. And then We've noticed like, like we'd have more maintenance calls on those issues, right? Cause the guys that are doing the conversions, they've got the brand new windows, the brand new furnace, the brand new everything, and they're spending more money. But as a result, they probably have less maintenance versus like some of our maintenance. Every time a tenant turned over, it was just like fucking like five grand, six grand. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, so, yeah, right. So are you doing the same stuff or do you find maybe your two year leases is a solution? I don't know. No, man, 100%. And I, I think you're right. Like the properties that you do the full burrs on or like the big renovations up front, like you definitely save on the maintenance on the back end. And it was something that I was struggling with like internally for a bit. Like, hey, is this something that I want to do? But I think once I solidified on like the small and mighty investor strategy for myself personally, I was more comfortable doing with it because I know like we're not spending big money up front to purchase or do these assets. We're just cash flowing these things. Like it's almost... You can almost think of like, almost like buying a laundry mat. Like you put the money in, like I know a lot of people look at like cash on cash plus return on investment plus return on equity. I'm almost like strictly cash on cash. Like it's gotta be really good for me to do it because I know the appreciation of property to be there. I know I need a lot of cash coming out to service the maintenance on it. And I want to look at assets I'm going to hold for like, you know, the next 10, 15. Perfect. Obviously you, you were deep in Timmins and, and then you're also a realtor in Durham, right? So I want to talk about a little bit about that. 
what are you seeing? Uh, like, what is the right course of action in your opinion? And we've all got our, our own opinions here, but I'm sure people come to you and they go, Hey, should I buy into him? Should I buy into him? And it's like, blah, 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 you know, like that kind of trade off. I'm just curious what the kind of conversations are that you had with your clients. Yeah, 100%. So Durham is very tough to cash flow at this point, And I'm a big believer in cash flow with your investments. And I'm not saying that's the right strategy. I'm just saying that's my strategy. Like I've never had a job where I'm making like 150K a year that I could service like negative cash flow on an investment property. But if you're in the tech industry, you're making 250 grand a year, like that's your ticket. Like go buy something a little bit more expensive. Even if you have to put 50 grand a year into something, you're winning on appreciation down the road, which is fine. My strategy is always going to be cash flow based, which is why I lean more to the timid side. In terms of Durham region, I still think there's great buying opportunities. House hacking works all over, especially in Oshawa. Obviously, the more west you go towards Toronto, like the numbers get a little bit higher. But in Durham region, the rents are super high. Like I was just showing a client the other the other day, like he's looking for a one bedroom in Whitby, and we're looking at south between seventeen and nineteen for one bedroom. So if you move that to a two, three uh, bedroom house, like you're getting like well above three grand for your rent. So these properties still can service, but it's just difficult to get in larger down payments and stuff like that. So what I've been working on is a program. It's called Living the Dream. And it's pretty much how I build my portfolio. I knew I was going to get priced out of Durham very quick after I bought that property in Oshawa. So instead of trying to put all my money into this one property in Oshawa, what I did is find a place that I like, rent it, Take that money that I would have used as a down payment for a property in Oshawa and go invest that in tenants. You want to live where you want, invest where you make sense. You're still going to get all the benefits of real estate, appreciation, cash flow, tax benefits, mortgage pay down, investing farther away. But you can still live in Durham where you want to live, be close to family, friends and work. And then in three to five years, we can have a conversation. Do you want to refinance, get some more cash flow? Do you want to sell that asset, bring it back down to Durham? It gives the client more options. And that's always my goal. I want to help people make the best decisions possible for them. Maybe it's to buy, maybe it's to sell, and maybe it's to invest a little bit farther. So bringing that Living the Dream program to them has been kind of like my passion project to allow people to make the best decisions in real estate possible. It's almost like creating a lead source that may not necessarily be immediate, but it would be in the future. And that's sort of how I got into my property in Toronto, how Mayu got into his property in Pickering is, is that we've invested before we bought our own place. And we yeah. took that equity. I flipped my first property to put yeah. that as a down payment in my condo in Toronto. You know, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to get in the market at that point in time because how expensive housing is. So it's almost like creating that long-term three to five year plan to get people to their dream house of what they want. Whatever lifestyle they want, the investment decisions need to ultimately reflect that. So I really like sort of the unique strategy you're taking on there. Sort of taking a step back and in terms of Durham, what are you seeing right now in the market? Is it slowing down? Are you still getting multiple offers? Is inventory sitting? What 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 are you seeing? Because we're hearing a lot of different things in different cities right now. Yeah. What I'm seeing is the good stuff is still going pretty quick. Like the stuff in that 650 to 850 price range, as long as it's like done up well and pretty much turnkey, not applying your townhouse, detached, like no lady space and stuff like that. That stuff's going pretty fast. Like even the average stays on market and it's still like well under a month. So we're still in a seller's market here. The only problem is like these buyers want to buy, it's just can't even qualify. Like I know guys with the down payment, they're ready to go but they don't have the income uh, to qualify because they're going to be stress tested at like almost 10% at this point, right? 
So they're not actually able to buy. So that's the conversation I'm having. Do they want to lease? I don't know if that's always the best option for them, or do they want to buy in a tertiary market? And that's kind of where I come in to help them lay that whole decision down. But once you get to the higher price properties, like when we're up like 1.3, 1.4, that stuff's sitting a little bit longer as well. But I've also noticed that the really distressed properties aren't going like they used to. Like people used to pick them up like all the time, like no condition, just go bang, bang, bang. But now people are, are taking like a second, like they're writing in with condition, they're longer closings, where they actually want to qualify for financing on them. So I do think the market has slowed a little bit, but there's still great opportunities to, to kind of go out there and get there, especially if you're in that 650 to 850 price point and your property is uh, all done up. And who are the type of buyers that you're seeing right now? Is it investors or is it mostly home buyers that are active in Durham? Mostly home buyers because the investors who want to be active and hey, I'm not pricing myself out of, uh, out of some commissions here, but like the investors, like the mom, mom investors who want to do that single family to fourplex, like the numbers barely work. Like they can barely qualify as it is. And even if we get these tenants in there, the properties are barely uh, cash flowing. The other thing is that these Durham tenants are not leaving. Like if you have a property in Durham, like that's worth a lot. Even if you rent it, it's almost as good as if you own it because the landlord tenant board's on your side. You're paying like, I don't know, $1,300 for a three bedroom in Whitby. There's no way in heck you're leaving. I don't care if they buy it and they want to put a, a new family there. You're going to hold on until the landlord tenant board literally drags you out by your hair. So that's something I'm seeing a lot difficult. And yes, the cash for keys conversation is there, but these tenants are getting smart. Like nobody's asking for oh, if you give me first and last month's rent, I'll, I'll move out and go to another property. Like, these guys are smart. They're starting the bidding at like 50 grand uh, to move out of some of these properties, which makes it a little bit difficult for investors to actually get in cash flow and kind of grow their investment there. Not impossible by any means, but you're going to need a realtor like me on your side. There you go. What a plug, eh? <laughs> no plug, you see that? <laughs> Love it. That was good, man. That was good. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk to you about, though, because obviously the realtor business, I'm sure, is pretty demanding. Property management is demanding as fuck, which is why me and Austin have never bothered to like try and set, set up our own company there. What is your full-time job now? I know you said you were working. Yeah, I'm in uh, bylaw now, so I'm in bylaw. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of, that's related. How are you managing all this? Because you've also got, I know, a marketing company. Uh, we talked a little bit about that at various points, right? Yeah. How are you possibly like managing all this? I'm just curious from the entrepreneurship side. Any tips, tricks? Because I think that's something that all of us struggle with, no matter what we're doing in life, is just kind of organizing our life, getting shit done, staying on top of stuff, right? So yeah, any gems you got there? So you have time block, but you got to put it in your calendar. Like even my friends, like some of my best friends, like they'll know, like they go talk and like, oh, we're going to do this. And like, I don't take my my phone and put it in. They just know like, hey, he's not coming. Like that's not happening. So if it doesn't go on my calendar, it's not happening. That's the first thing that I really live my calendar for literally everything. And it's not to be like, and like people will, will want to chat or do something like, oh, like book a call, or like let's book a time. And it's not being like, oh, I think I'm better than you. You need to book on my schedule. It's just like, no, like I really want to spend time with you, but I don't want to take away from other things that I'm doing or other obligations that I've signed up for. So time blocking, number one. Number two, oh my goodness, start hiring. And I wish I would have done it earlier. And I knew it. Everyone told me, they're like, oh, like if you want to grow, you got to bring a team. And I'm like, no, like I'm a workforce. Like I played football and rugby at Laurier. Like I know I can get everything done myself. And you slowly learn like, like that's not the case. And I should say even these last six to eight months between my VAs, my team of editors, my boots on the ground and my personal assistants, like that team is firing on all cylinders. Like they are so, so, so good. And yes, we've had to fire a couple or, or not move through with some others, but they are so good. 
And they're the reason I'm able to kind of take on more of these projects. Like every like a social media client I take on, both the onboarding process is already there. Give it to the, the main VA of that team. They run through the whole process. All I have to do is oversee. So for me, it's big team, big systems, and please time block. Big team comes with big management job though as well, no? <laughs> like that. Yo, I struggle, man. I'm, I'm not a manager. <laughs> I think if you put that person under you, so I don't know, like Denzel has this one thing. He's like, you talk to Louis, Louis talks to me. You get it? And I'm like, oh, that's it. So I talk to like one person and their job is to talk to everybody else, right? So having less conversations and less people who have direct access to me, not because I think I'm better than them, but just to like actually be able to work the system. Like even when you see something go wrong, because I would just be like, oh, that's not right. I'll just go fix it. Like even if you have to wait a day, you know what's going bad, like let the system fix it itself and get better like that way. I feel that's been a really hard thing for me to do, but like that's the only way you can scale and take on some of these other endeavors that you want to grow. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think this is going to be forever, but I think I'm still kind of early in my investing in entrepreneurial career. Just going to throw a couple things at the wall, see what sticks and then maybe double down on some stuff. Yeah, the solution is there for people, right? Exactly what you're saying is hiring, distance yourself, have more middle level. Man- it's almost like you have a middle level manager before it gets to you. The tough part is, is the trade off between that and margins right? and efficiency, because the more layers there are, it may not always the case, but it may be less efficient. To your point, the system will figure itself out, but you almost have to train yourself to say, if I can solve this problem in five minutes, there's like, I'm going to start injecting myself in every five minute problem. And that's going to take out all my time. So even if it takes 10 hours for the system to solve itself out, you just have to make the system more efficient over time. Right. And also, again, like to that point, like you can only scale if you can hire and it's almost at the sacrifice of margins in the short term, but understanding in the long term, you're going to be able to one, have more free time, live a better life, but also do bigger and better things by doing that. Right. I think that was a great episode. I think we covered basically everything from your origin stories through like a deep, deep dive into Timmons, which we've never done on the podcast before and talking about entrepreneurship in Durham. So I think that was a lot, but uh, you know, where do you see your, your business kind of going in the next two to three years? Like what, what do you think is the focus? What do you think is the plan for growth? Just curious. Yeah, great question. So um, I am officially on the small and mighty real estate investor campaign. And that's my my goal, my mission, I've already locked it in and I'm about the way to go. So I think when I started, my goal was like, you know, it, I was a door chaser. I'm not going to lie. I'll be that guy. I was like, when I was doing the investing meetings, how many doors you have? How many doors? Okay. I need more doors, more doors. I need more doors. I started getting a little bit more savvy, saw what more doors actually does to your psyche and actually what it does to like your bottom line. Because at the end of the day, like we're trying to get paid. Like that's what we're doing. It's for like, I don't want 10 doors if possible, $1 a door. That makes no sense. So small and mighty investors. So my goal is to get my portfolio to a certain gross number. Once that portfolio is grossing, I'm going to do something that all the financial people are going to cry about. I'm going to pay off debt. I know, I know, I know, but we're going to pay it off. So we can get to like easy numbers. So let's say you make your, uh, you cap, you gross 15K a month, like for your rents. So, but obviously your mortgage is your biggest like expense there. So you stop, pay down your properties for the next five to 10 years, and then you take the difference. And that's actually what you do. Again, it's not the most financially savvy decision, but it's a decision that I'm comfortable with. And, and that's kind of how I want and how I see my portfolio and, and living stuff like that. So small and mighty, but we're going to get it done. 
You know, it's funny. I actually mentioned this in another podcast that I was on. Someone asked me like, what was my goal? And I, and I said something of a very similar vein that it's, I just want less problems and to have less problems. <laughs> it means it, it does mean to an extent deleveraging, right? Less risk, less problems, less things to worry about. And it also means selling stuff off. <laughs> so there's less to manage. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point in time, I'm not there yet, but I don't want to make this podcast about me, but I, I really do resonate with that, with that answer you said there. Yep. And, and I think it resonated as well with that, 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 what you started with, which is, I think we all started with door chasing, right? And, and that was a measure of success to a certain point, but I, I don't think it's been intentional, but even in this podcast now, we don't necessarily ask people like, what is the size of your portfolio? Like, what is your investments? We don't dive into every single property, right? Because I think the reality is we just, it's the number of transactions I think makes a significant impact, right? Because the more transactions you do, the more you see, right? And you can do those transactions in multiple ways, flips, buys, burrs, buy and holds, whatever it is, and issues, right? But the expertise doesn't necessarily come from, oh, I'm like a 10% stakeholder in a 30 unit like apartment building. Right? Yeah. But the second question that we'd like to ask our guest is, for a newer investor getting started in today's market, what kind of advice would you share with them? House hack immediately. If I want a house hack, why I started, like when I was young, I would have been way farther. Like, because you're going to, like, you get all the benefits. You get to put a low down payment. You can have all the boys live with you, or you can do it like nice and traditional with a two unit. You just have so many advantages if you house hack right off the bat. So don't get caught off with all these people trying to, you know, be in the syndication or invest long distance. Like, just chill out. House hack something nice and easy. If you have to go a little bit farther, that's fine. But house hack number one, and then two, just get started. You learn more like in the game than on the sidelines, whether it's sports or real estate, like just get in the game and you'll have a good time playing, I promise. Awesome. It was an absolute pleasure having the mayor of T-Town here, uh, Isaiah Henry. <laughs> We're going to make that a thing now, like literally in the episode name, it's going to be interviewing mayor of T-Town. This was a fantastic episode. I think it's much needed as interest rates go up investors still want to take action, right? But the numbers aren't making sense in a lot of markets, but it seems like you have it figured out in Timmins. It seems like investors are still buying in Timmins and it seems like that you're still able to grow your business successfully in Timmins. So, I mean, that, that says a lot, right? If you guys are looking for a more affordable market, it's worthwhile to do a little bit more research around that. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, work with you, partner with you, whatever the case is, how could they best do so? Yeah, for sure. So obviously on this podcast, we talk a lot about the investing side of my business, but I am a realtor as well. I'm a big believer in helping people uh, get into the home of their dreams, whether that's an investment or an end user style property. Check me out on Instagram. It's at it's Mr. Henry. That's I-T-S Mr. Henry. You can get a copy of my book, The Rookie Real Estate Investor. The nice easy you're getting started on real estate. free for you. Send me a DM or you can download it straight there. I'm on YouTube. I'm on TikTok. I got an email list with some great stuff coming out as well. And yeah, we'll just love to connect. So don't be afraid to hit that DM button. I'd love to connect. The ultimate hustler. That's insane, man. All of that will be down in the show notes below. So uh, feel free to reach out to Isaiah, guys. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like it, leave us a rating, a comment, share it with a friend. Do whatever you can to support it because it helps bring great guests like Isaiah out to the podcast. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.